This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 94. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, what five things should litigators be doing more of in their deposition practice? Well, hello, everybody. I hope your week is off to a fast and great start. So the production crew and I were brainstorming some ideas for upcoming episodes. We've got show ideas for the next six months, so we're looking really at the first quarter of the following year. And someone said, well, what about, what about a show on the top five things that litigators should be doing but aren't relating to depositions? Well, my immediate reaction was exactly what you would expect. I could never do an episode like that because there's really no such thing. There's no way for me to tell other litigators what they should be doing in broad terms in their deposition practice. Every case is different. Every lawyer's style is different. The idea of broad general rules is the exact opposite of what I have been preaching for decades. Custom tailor your practice for you, for each case and for each situation. There's just no practice-wide rule that applies to every trial lawyer in every situation in every case. In fact, I think that's the problem in many firms and other legal organizations. They develop rigid rules. They try to mechanize the taking and defending of depositions. And I really think that's why so many outstanding lawyers miss out on opportunities to achieve true brilliancy in their depositions. In fact, in a number of episodes, you've probably heard me talk about the fact that there are as many effective deposition styles as there are lawyers. My favorite example of all time was my analogy to top-level predators in the animal kingdom. I did an episode early on, as you may recall, where I asked the question, how can it be that the top two predators in the animal kingdom are one that has the fastest legs on the planet and the other has no legs whatsoever? It's fascinating to me how they go about their business of finding prey because their styles are the exact opposite of each other, but both are supremely effective. Uh, the two predators, of course, being the cheetah and the python or anaconda. So it is with litigators. We all have different styles. There are so many styles that are equally super effective. So I pushed back against some of the production staff and I said, what I can do is talk about five things that come to mind immediately that I might tell brand new litigators. That way we start from a clean slate and there's no criticism or judgment about whether they do it or not. Things that they might not appreciate coming out of the starting gates fresh from law school. So here are five things, and this is not a top five list, but a list of five things I might suggest to brand new litigators as they develop their deposition style and as they think about how they're going to handle this piece of their practice. Again, in no particular order, number one, use Rule 30b-6 or your state equivalent on a regular basis. Designated representative depositions, frequently called corporate rep depots, are tremendously helpful for cutting through the fog. You get to pick the topics and your target has to pick people to come and prepare them fully to answer your questions on those topics. You are literally hiring your adversary not to obstruct your discovery, but to help you achieve it. And there are serious consequences 
for an opposing number that fails to properly prepare their 30B6 or corporate rep deposition. So 30B6 depositions are a staple or a regular feature of my deposition practice. It helps me readily identify the critical facts, the crucial witnesses, and the map ahead for the remaining depositions. Second top of the head tip for new litigators. Give active thought to reaching agreement with opposing lawyers to seal deposition transcripts that are going to be filed with the court. In the past, obtaining documents filed with any court, state or federal, was a near impossibility unless you sent someone to the courthouse where the documents were filed. Not so now. Anyone anywhere can log in in most jurisdictions and download everything at little or no cost. Depositions, of course, contain a great deal of highly personal information, trade secrets, you name it. Now, as litigators, we routinely negotiate confidentiality agreements or protective orders regarding information exchanged during discovery, but I rarely see lawyers arranging for deposition testimony by witnesses who are revealing personal or professional information to be sealed. It's really something to give thought to. Top of the head tip number three for new litigators. Don't be afraid to take shorter or fewer depositions. Consider instead shifting witness testimony to affidavits or to sworn statements, sometimes called examinations under oath or EUOs. Now, I know this is a problem in some firms and legal organizations. There's an expectation by some senior lawyers that you will and should depose all available or nearly all available witnesses and an expectation to some extent that you will cover the landscape with every witness. Some litigators may be fearful, especially younger lawyers, that if something develops later that they didn't cover in the deposition, they will be blamed for doing a poor job. But I would say this, there's that whole doctrine of one question too many. Put another way, there's as much risk from an unfocused deposition plan in asking too many questions, deposing too many witnesses, as there are from asking one question too few or deposing one witness too few. The problem with the rule of thumb that you should depose everyone you can and ask every question or nearly every question that you can is that you will often wind up generating dozens or even hundreds of pages of testimony that will literally and figuratively be rolled up and used to beat you over the head either at trial or in dispositive motion or other evidentiary hearings. So you have to give thought to what you're generating and ask, does it make sense to do so just because I can? Unfocused deposition plans can lead to examinations that alert adversaries to claims or defenses that they had never thought of. It can alert witnesses to things they might want to say at trial that they would not have otherwise been prepared to address. The more I focused on depositions early in my career, the more I noticed that my depositions were getting shorter and shorter and that I was taking fewer and fewer of them. Now again, this is a highly individualized analysis, but if you are aiming for true deposition mastery, I urge you to give thought to who you should depose and to exactly what you should or should not ask them in every case. Top of the head tip number four, develop that healthy intolerance for speaking objections. 
There are few things that are more likely to infect and damage your depositions, and so your case, than, than improper speaking objections. Usually, speaking objections are the province of lawyers, in my opinion, who haven't properly prepared their witnesses or themselves. So what do they do? They disrupt your depositions. So you've got to have something approaching a true zero tolerance uh, policy for dealing with improper speaking objections. And top of the head tip number five, attacking costs. Attacking bills of costs when the outcome is unfavorable to you and your client is high science. So develop a mastery over what is taxable and what isn't relating to depositions. Court reporters, as you surely know, now charge for all sorts of add-ons that are not taxable under state and federal rules. Litigators sometimes arrange for the videotaping of a deposition, even though the deponent is a party or someone else whose presence at trial is mandatory, and even though the deposition is already going to be stenographically uh, recorded. That kind of duplicative capture of deposition testimony is generally not recoverable, but you have to object. Once you become a virtuoso in the art of slashing an adversary's recoverable deposition costs, it will add to your freedom to aggressively litigate cases because you'll know that when all is said and done, that you have the skill and ability to protect your clients against large cost awards. All right, so that's it. So those were the first five things that came to mind during our team meeting. Not necessarily the top five things, but they really do make a difference and are something that brand new lawyers should give some thought to. That's it for today. I liked the idea of a top five list, but definitely not one where we preach that all lawyers should always be doing something all the time. That's the exact opposite of what I think. Instead, I believe you've got to custom design your plan and develop your skills in a way that best suit you. Again, I see that as a problem in some legal organizations. Lawyers with tremendous talent are discouraged from racing right up to the cutting edge of deposition strategies and tactics and using their own individual creativity to develop new and novel deposition tactics. Okay, that's a wrap for today. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.